Hello, I'm Ben Eagle, a podcaster, journalist, and rural communications consultant, and welcome to Rural Business Focus. This is the podcast for rural businesses and those looking to start a business in the countryside. Episodes are released each Tuesday to inspire and support you to be your very best, both personally and for your business. Please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening, and if you think this episode will help someone you know, forward it on to them. It's the only way the show grows, by you sharing it. So thank you for that. But now. Let's start today's show. everyone and welcome back to the podcast after a few weeks away uh welcome to episode 63 of rural business focus and we're doing something a little bit different today we're talking about security um something that we might take for granted especially on farms but when something happens you probably wish that you had done something to prevent it so my guest today is ex-SAS military advisor, Mick Hawks. Um, he and his daughter have launched a new business specializing in improving farm security and preventing rural crime. Um, after 22 years working in corporate security, following 24 years in the military, Mick Hawks returned to rural Herefordshire and realized how much of an issue rural crime really was. Um, rural theft across the UK cost an estimated £40.5 million in 2021, according to NFU Mutual's annual report, with thieves targeting fuel, livestock and machinery. And the cost increased by over 40% in the first quarter of 2022. So that gives you an idea of what we're tackling here. Uh, Mick offers advice on farm safety, as well as personal safety training for farmers and farm workers. Mick, welcome to Rural Business Focus. It's very exciting to finally be doing this. We've been planning this for a while. Um, how, how are you doing, first of all? Yeah, thanks, Ben. I much appreciate for the uh, for the invite. Uh, we're all we're all good. We'll go on to talk a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now. But first of all, I mean the farm safety issue. We know it's a we know it's huge um, in agriculture. Rural crime is also an issue, as we're going to explore today. Um, but why why for you is this? Uh, why why should we be talking about this more? Yeah, I I actually live in rural Herefordshire, right next door to a farm. Uh, and when I came back from the Hague uh, last May, it was pretty obvious that the farmers really do need some sort of assistance because they're they're such nice people they they do a lot of work work in all types of conditions um but people take a lend of them and what i mean by that is they get identified as being easy targets um and we uh, as i'll allude to later on highlighted the point when uh, when we were operating on operations that farms can uh, be deemed as quite easy targets uh, and, and and unfortunately we're living in a world with very unscrupulous individuals, uh, always easy to to make a, a, a fast buck, and unfortunately, the rural farming uh, community are easy, easy targets. Believe you me. Let's uh, look at your sort of former career first of all, because that's a, a big part of how you got to where you are. Um, give us a bit of a, a bit of an insight, because 
you were with the military for 24 years. Um, you then worked in corporate security for another 22 years. So this has been a huge part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I joined the military as a young boy at uh, 16, junior parachute regiment, actually. But during training, I snapped my ankle pretty badly uh, right. and it ended up doing a commando route, uh, if that makes sense, because I was told I could never parachute. However, yep. we parachuted later on. I uh, spent eight years uh, in uh, an organization called 29 Commando, which is an artillery unit. Uh, attached to 4-5 Commando up in Arbroath, Scotland, uh, which is where I met my future wife. Spent uh, eight years up there, uh, doing the old Norway every year, all this type of stuff, but actually got bored. Um, and the reason I got really? bored... Yeah, it's funny because uh, I'm a possible? big believer that if you can plan your year two years in advance, which is what we could do at 2-9, right. you knew that in two years' time you were going to do three months in Norway you were going to do a nice summer, uh, hot country visit uh, yep. and probably a Denmark. Um, for me, it just got tedious. So I then made the decision to to do selection and head down to Hereford. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I did selection, um, joined B Squadron Mountain Troop. Because of all the Norways we did uh, with skiing and climbing and stuff like that, uh, Mountain Troop seemed the, the, obvious, uh, the obvious place to go. I thoroughly enjoyed it, loved my time within the squadron i went off uh, and did uh, undercover type operations volunteered to go to northern ireland uh, which we'll allude to later on and and spent 14 fantastic years in hereford all my kids were born in hereford so i, I class hereford as home now uh, okay. if that makes sense. even though i was never born here you know when you get to your 22 year point as a man service um it was time to leave i, I didn't want to continue the regiment do offer five-year continuations uh, to try and keep older people then, because uh, I left in 2000. Uh, but I just thought at 40, it was, was time to, to go for another career. Um, and I was very fortunate enough to, to get into the gas and oil security industry. Spent four years over in Kazakhstan learning all the aspects, really, uh, of gas and oil. And also taking that edge off, uh, especially regiment guys, SAS, uh, you've got a bit of an edge about you, which can be very abrupt when you're working in the corporate industry. So the four years really uh, in Kazakhstan was uh, a big learning curve on how to <laughs> how to speak to uh, normal civilian people and and how we used to speak to people uh, in the SES. Yeah, this is a massive rabbit hole. But can you just give us an insight into four years in Kazakhstan? What, what does life in Kazakhstan look like? Yeah, <laughs> well, it, uh, it was it was it was sour gas. So it's actually quite lethal, and it, it was a multinational operation. They wanted a Western security manager, and the way I got the job, bear in mind there were six ex-military people, including myself, that had to go there for a week. The plan was that you went over there to do a security assessment. You then came back, um, handed your security assessment, and the best security assessment was going to get it. Now, unfortunately, I was new out of the system, so I knew nothing about security assessments of oil fields and gas fields and stuff like that. So I probably, probably handed in the worst of the security assessments uh, because I I was just working off my my own head and stuff like that. However, what I did do, because I was the last one to go, the people that we were supposed to be uh, working with, I took them all out for a meal, spoke to them. And and when I spoke to them, they said, Mick, do you realize you're the only one of the six that has actually got in a conversation with them? Uh, Everyone else just cracked on doing the security assessment without 
without actually speaking to the local people you're going to speak, you're, you're going to be working with. So when um, when obviously they made the decision, they said, right, guys, you've had the six people here. Who do you want? Uh, well, Mick was the only one that spoke to us. So yeah, we'll have Mick. <laughs> and it highlighted the point that you need to you need to have personal skills to get on in life, really, uh, as opposed to just being a good security in, individual. Thoroughly enjoyed it. The weather was uh, pretty shocking: thirty degrees uh, heat in the summer, minus thirty in the winter. Wow! So quite a harsh environment. Uh, but the reason I left at the end was the the project came to a halt. Uh, it, there was Russians. Kazakhs, Americans, Italians, and Brits. So it was a, a multinational, uh, multi, working with a, an ex-KGB colonel uh, who was my official boss. Um, and I was the, the the Western expat, really, that, that uh, kept control of all the expat workers. Uh, but it was a, it was a major construct, uh, construction site. And when it came to an end, it was really time to hand over uh, to Kazakhs. Uh, and that's what we did. So I then bounced about for year, you know, one year contract, writing and implementing uh, crisis management plans, kidnap and ransom, emergency evacuation plan, bomb threats, all that sort of stuff, uh, which is quite interesting. And then, and then finally, uh, I got a call from a HSE guy that I helped out in Serbia uh, a few years before. Actually, the security guy for a company based in Monaco. And they had a requirement for a HSSE manager for West Africa, uh, based in Lagos, Nigeria, which uh, really uh, weighs heavily on the security side as opposed to the safety side. So I took the role on. And then after Nigeria closed down, they moved me up to Monaco uh, for my sins for three years, living in hotels and stuff like that. And I was on the on the verge of resigning, really, because uh, living in hotels in Monaco, especially in the winter, quite boring but i still had worldwide issues you know we had uh brazil angola malaysia uh, singapore so we were still active china uh still very active uh but it's just the fact that you're living in hotels when you came back to monaco uh just got a bit too much and, and then thankfully they opened up uh, an office in amsterdam uh, at the at the airport Schiphol. so i went up there and and spent six fantastic years and then may last year uh, well, actually, the Christmas just before May, I just thought, do I want to do this for the rest of eternity? Which is the, the easy option would have been that. But I've, I've always wanted to write a book. And, and we, we did that called Life on the Edge, uh, which is going through the editorial publisher type phase at the moment. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and then um, and it's all the books really geared to helping people that hit brick walls in their life. So. You, you had this amazing international career in various guises and you've come back to, uh, I say, you've, you've arrived in, I should say, uh, rural Herefordshire. Let's bring this back to a farm level and let's talk to the farmers out there. Taking all of this experience, what does this mean for you and, and, and how you look at security on farms? Yeah, so our time in Northern Ireland, <laughs> we uh doing the undercover stuff. And we used to do things called uh, close target recce. And now, close target recce for military people is, especially for the SAS, is your bread and butter. It's all about breaking in, you know, getting close to a target, doing a recce, making sure you're not seen and, and, and doing the business. Um, so we used to do CTRs on uh, on farm farms uh, and it was really um, farms that were being used by terrorist organizations you know either side you know there's bad people on either side of a 
I think so. Um, so what we used to do was we used to covertly break into the farms uh, and uh, and try and find what we were looking for. You know, be right. it bomb making equipment. There's or, no there's no better way of knowing how to how to break in than do it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So using that knowledge and understanding how easy it is to break into farms, because believe you me, unfortunately, you know, farmers are their own worst enemy. Uh, you know, even even walking around rural Hereford, you know, we came across a beautiful brand new combine harvester. I think it's just been used to clear a field and there was no one there walking the dogs key in the ignition and you're like that what that you know what <laughs> uh and and that, you understand why the farmers do it because you know they're they're working quite hard and they you know they need that same as they need gates open they'll leave keys in the the tractor thing so that's why unfortunately uh the farming community are easy targets based on what we used to do in northern ireland uh we now feel that turning that around uh, we can we can highlight the flaws to two farmers. One of the first questions that comes from a farmer is, how much is this going to cost me? Um, and, uh, and we understand that. We understand farmers are on tight budgets um, and, and it's unfair, really, uh, for security people to take advantage of that. Our emphasis really is on helping people. Um, you know, my daughter is of the same ilk. And I think the first thing that should come out of your mouth when you're actually meeting a client is, how can we help you? Not, this is how much it's going to cost you. Um, absolutely. That, that goes for whatever your business is. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to personal safety, what might a farmer be interested in knowing, I suppose? What, what, what do farmers ask you? The risk of farmers at the moment is um, amateur criminals. Um, you know, and they, these are just scumbags. They're really just to, you know, trying to make a, a quick buck. Um, and you get them everywhere, um, all over. And, and what they're trying to do is they're, they're looking for an easy score. A lot of them are druggies. Um, and uh, the easy way for a druggie to, to score is to steal something, something nice and shiny, and off they go. So amateur criminals is, is quite quite heavy on there. Professional operators. Uh, this is a big thing that farmers uh, need to be aware of because the pe- um, what they do is they, they steal to order. Now, these people can be seen quite early, uh, you know, doing their recce's, you know, they'll, they'll, and the red flags really are people that drive into pretending to be lost, but drive into a farm. Uh, oh, is this certain, certain, and then they, and what they're doing is they're having a quick scan round and then they drive off. Now that is well, a massive. Sort of, I've lost my yeah. dog or something along those lines. I'm guessing. Absolutely, it's it's a big red flag, uh, and it, once farmers understand that and know that, uh, you can debate because you know within the next day or two you're going to get a visit from the same individuals because they've actually identified and seen what they're looking for. Uh, if that makes sense, and so professional professional guy, and it's very difficult to defend against a professional gang because uh, generally, you know, a professional gang they know what they're doing. Uh, and uh, and they'll go about the business and 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 crack on with it. Uh, opportunist criminals, you know, you leave a, a tractor in the field. Uh, opportunist criminals generally work with a four by four vehicle with an empty trailer, uh, and off they go. And they expect to go back at night time with a, a full a full trailer of goodies. That's opportunism. Uh, you know, same as if you leave your push bike uh, in your in your front garden, it'll go walk about. Uh, so so that's uh, a major risk. Animal rights activists, uh, and unfortunately, they they can get infiltrated by 
uh, very much left-wing, you know, militant-type organisations, and cause a lot of damage. You know, the anti-fox fox hunting brigade stuff like that, uh, and then going on to that demonstrations uh, outside your farm uh, is another another major risk, uh, depending on what your farm's actually doing. Uh, and then rustlers again, rustlers are generally professional people. Sometimes taking one or two animals, uh, sometimes taking a full herd. Uh, so there's all all manner really uh, of uh, of people that uh, that can do damage there. So uh, for us, you know, as a farmer, really good security practice is often better than expensive security products, and that's what we've always said: is farmers are the forefront. Farmers and the farm laborers, workers, you're the forefront of dealing with criminality. Uh, and it, it's going to be the farmers and their workers that are going to defeat it. It's not going to be fancy CCTV. It's not going to be the police coming around, you know, the, the crime prevention units, all that lot. It's the farmers. Uh, and until we understand that and deal with that, uh, we're not going to get anywhere. Rural Business Focus is brought to you from Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organizations, and communities like you to tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. Rural Pod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast, but you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk. Farmers can see things more than, than most people because they know the farm. They know the lay of the land. They know what's unusual and what stands out. They just need to be taught it. Uh, so that because situation awareness is not a natural trait, um, it is to military and it is to police and the emergency services because it's embedded. You know, I still walk down the street looking for a sniper, you know, with a with a weapon coming out there because it was ingrained in your head. Now that's a slight exaggeration, but you understand what what, what we're trying to say. For farmers uh, and the average normal person, you have to explain what situation awareness is and what to look for. And once they've got it, once they've got the concept, uh, they then just improve it themselves. And then the last thing really is carry out regular self-assessments. And self-assessments really are an indicator of, of how well your security on your farm is doing. Uh, and self-assessments are so easy. And we actually highlight uh, the self-assessment when we do this three-hour presentation for you know, the 110 farm managers that we're going to be doing over in Cambridge. Um, and it, it's just so that they can, you know, they've got an idea of how they can do it themselves. Rather than putting the cost on the farmers, let's put the cost on to uh, the insurance companies. Uh, because ultimately, it's the insurance companies that are going to win if the farmers improve their security. So our plan of attack, really, is to put an arm around the farmers rather than just send them you know, guidelines, and uh, which is what they're doing now. They, they get sent some in the post. That's not helping the farmer. You know, you're asking him to read a document that he probably knows nothing about. Yeah. Um, and actually, they need someone to put an arm around him and say, listen, mate, we can help you. you. You're losing quite a lot of money here. This is what we can do. You can secure a farm quite easily without having to buy high-tech equipment. Uh, lock the gate. Take yeah. the key out of your tractor. 
shut your barn and lock it. Basic stuff that, that sometimes farmers need to be reminded of. Yeah. Uh, so use, using that methodology, so improve the, the, the farm security, uh, you know, make it less vulnerable. And then actually take the farmers and the farm workers and their families and push them through this three-hour presentation to try and change their mindset. Situational awareness, rural farm security, uh, confrontation, and it and it really it's all about giving the farmers back their confidence on dealing with uh, with security issues, which is sadly lacking at the moment. Uh, and uh, and until we I'd say until we change that cycle, nothing's going to improve. And and the reason why we're pointing at the security the insurance companies because if that farm suddenly stops losing his tractor uh, because he's improved his security, um, it means that the insurance company are going to be winning. Um, so it, it really it's win win for everyone apart from the bad people. Mm. I mean, you'll you'll obviously go into a lot more detail in that three hour session, but could you maybe just give us. A, a taster uh, of just a, a few uh, a few of those points that maybe easy things uh, easier things uh, that that listeners could do to help prevent criminal activity on their farms yeah uh, so obviously they we've gone through the the obvious ones which was good, good security so what what we're actually what we're actually going to cover um on the on the course is really a re- quick reminder uh, of why people need to to heighten the their security awareness and stuff like that um, and it's really based on statistics, which are actually quite frightening. You know, you, you alluded to it, uh, the, you know, the, the millions, the 22 percent, you know, it, it, it's quite staggering, really. Uh, and then where the advice is coming from. So it's important that when when you give a presentation to someone, you have to have a bit of credibility about you, uh, because otherwise people are going to start to nod off straight away. So we actually highlight, you know, what we used to do, uh, explain what a CTR is how we used to break into farms and stuff like that, uh, and, and really why we know what we're talking to, uh, talking about. Even though we're not farmers, um, you know, we, we err on the side of criminality, uh, which is what we used to do in a, in a legal sense. So where the advice is coming from, and then workforce security, uh, you know, how the, the workforce them, the, themselves can, can improve security uh, by just going through basic stuff uh, that they would ordinarily forget to do, like locking a gate at night time. And the reason why people don't lock gates at night time is because they're up at early doors in the morning, in the tractor and away. Complacency. But sometimes people just need need to be reminded, you know, shut the barn. Treat your tractor like your personal car. If you was to treat your tractor like your personal car, it probably wouldn't get stolen. Deterring opportunity. How we can deter criminals uh, and it's easy done if you go about it you know one of the biggest thefts really is oil uh, and and fuel and stuff like that from farms there's a way around that you know disguise your fuel point don't make it obvious where it is certainly never ever have a fuel a fuel site uh, in view of the main road if you're a winemaking organization um, then make sure that your barns are well secure uh, because criminals you know that wine it, it's something easy quads uh quads are such an easy yeah, thing to steal and 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 you know people people harp on about gps systems and blah 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 not interested a gps system is only as good as the response unless you're paying 
thousands of dollars to a private security company, which, to be quite frank, farmers can't afford to do to you know respond to your tracker that's gone walkabout, then you're wasting your time, to be quite frank. And actually, uh, some of the, the trackers and responders uh, or transponders uh, that are used are, actually get stolen more so than the actual tractor uh, because it's easy to steal. You know, these criminals are clever, clever people. Never, ever assume that a criminal is a stupid individual because they're not in jail for a very good reason. They're good at what they do. Um, and uh, and so all this fancy gadgetry, yeah, great if you've got it, but only as good as a response. Uh, otherwise, you're just wasting your money. And then we do compliments uh, in dealing with uh, criminality, uh, confrontation uh, and things like that, because we know that the farmers are going to be confronted at some stage. Uh, so we just give them options on how to deal uh, with criminality. We also go through the law when it comes to shotguns, because uh, we've actually seen, you know, an incident years ago where they, the the uh, Derbyshire farmer shot the individual uh, in the back. Well, they, he shot one in the backside and he survived, uh, but he shot the other guy in the back uh, and he was actually put in jail. You'll be going to jail. Uh, so we do explain the the law what you can do and what you can't do when it comes to self-defense, because people need to understand that. I'm conscious of time, so we're going to have to start to uh, wrap this up. But I mean, my last question, I suppose, is what drives you? Why do you continue to do this? And I mean, you've said you said yeah, you're in Hereford, you've got, you're next to a farm, you've, you've got all that. But there's, there seems to be something more here. There's something really within you that that, that is driving you. Family, which is why the company's called Hawks & Co., you can't join Hawks and Co. unless your name's Hawks. This this is why I came back over. Um, I I want to at some stage, you know, throw my feet up and say enough's enough now. Uh, but I'd, what I'd like to do is hand some over to to my kids. And I've got three serving military boys who can step in into what I'm doing once I've finished. You know, the kidnap and ransom stuff, the situation awareness stuff. Keely can do, maintain what she's doing, so she'll now become the, the head shed. She can run all the projects and, and stuff like that. So but it's just a nice way, really, of heading into the distance, knowing that you've handed some over uh, to uh, to your children. Uh, and, and really, it's my kids uh, that drives me along. So family is vitally important for me, and that's what drives me. That's it. I'm going to ask you the last question that we ask everyone when they come on the show. And this is more sort of personal based, I suppose. It's uh, what do you do so that you keep focused um, on what you're trying to do? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's professionalism. Uh, you know, it's keeping ahead of the game. Uh, there are there are a lot, lots of people out there. So sort of, we're all on the same. Way. I'm, I'm competing uh, against some of the big security companies, but I know I'm very good at what I do. And the reason being is good planning robust planning and and just being good at what you do and if you're good at what you do you can you can pass that on um, and and that's what we're all about at the moment you know we've got a lot of knowledge that we'd like to pass on so that that's really what what keeps it going professionalism and uh finally the important one for you and keely i suppose how to listeners uh follow what you do get in touch or find out more yeah well we're, we're we're quite heavy in uh on linkedin <laughs> We're quite vocal on that, um, yeah. and a lot of it is because we we are trying to push the security situation awareness training. 
uh, not training, but you know, trying to trying to get the word out there that people need to have at least a base level of um, situational awareness about them. And and LinkedIn is a is a perfect platform, really, because uh, it goes to like minded people. We've we've got nearly eight thousand followers. Yep. Uh, on that, which is quite quite a lot, really, I suppose, for, for LinkedIn. Um, and it, it's good because you get a lot of feedback, good feedback. So we're on, on that, we're, we're Mike, uh, Mike Charles Hawks uh, on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and obviously on our website, which is www.hawksandco, which is all one word, hawksandco.uk. Uh, we've just updated uh, our website. But like I say, the, the thing that it's helping people vulnerable people i don't like bullies i detest criminals you know because people work hard for what they've got let's not take it just because you think and we see that all too often on the streets of the uk now people walking in shops and walking out without having paid and and unfortunately that's the way the uk is going uh so we need to do something different on that note we will leave it there uh, big thanks to my guest today mick hawks uh, thank you very much for listening uh, as usual i'd really and i really would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode contact us on twitter at rural bf underscore pod or on instagram at rural business focus or yeah, you can always contact me on linkedin as well um, any extra info you need about this episode and any links as well that we mentioned today find those in the show notes uh, next time uh, we'll be talking about B Corp, and I'll be joined by Duncan Murray-Clark from the Adplane, uh, which has recently been awarded B Corp accreditation. So if you want to hear more about B Corp and understand more about that, join me next week. For now, though, I'll leave you in the way that I leave you every episode. Try to do one thing this week that helps you progress and one thing that helps someone else. Keep focused, and I will see you next time. <laughs>